This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Pre-Loved Podcast is a weekly interview show about rad vintage style with guests you'll want to go thrifting with. Pre-Loved Podcast host Emily Stokel chats with guests about their love for vintage and secondhand clothing, how they source creative inspiration, and the stories behind their favorite pieces. The conversations cover everything from running a vintage vintage fashion business to sustainability and why we choose secondhand things first. Listen to Pre-Loved Podcasts on Apple Podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly nonfiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is, or at least try to. We'll cover new releases, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a Book Riot podcast and is hosted by me, Kim Ukara, and fellow rioter Alice Burton. We're recording this week's episode on Friday, July 19th. Hello, Alice. How are you? Hi, Kim. Um, I am overall fine. Little sweaty. It's like we were just talking beforehand. We've got a heat index of like over 100 in the Midwest. Yes, it is horrendous. I think also on the East Coast, right? I was reading a lot of tweets about New Yorkers saying everything was sticky. Yeah. When I walked out of work today, my glasses uh, fogged up because the humidity was so high (laughs) that like I came out of an air-conditioned building and then there was so much humidity that my glasses fogged up, which I always – it's just a terrible sign. It's a terrible sign. That's as a tragedy in general. Um, But tomorrow is the 24 in 48 – not podcast. That's what we're doing. The readathon, which – is where you know you try you well you know this but for listeners who don't who didn't listen to our other episodes where we talked about it uh you try to read for 24 hours out of 48 so that's like on the weekend and it's my favorite readathon i think because it's much more doable than the dewey's 24 hour one i can't read 24 hours straight but you can read 24 hours over 48 hours potentially potentially i've made it to 12 that's been like my max that's impressive, though, for a weekend. Uh, I, like, have dreams of participating, but I am in the middle of just this, like, horrendous reading slump. And so I don't even – I was I was thinking maybe I could like, use the 24 and 48 to, like, force myself out of it. But I just – I just don't know if that's going to happen. Um, yes, let's let's talk about your reading slump here, Kim. What were the signs? Was it just, like, I don't want to read anything and then that continued? Seems right. Yeah, and, like – Every time I was like, I could read a book or I could rewatch a show I've already watched twice on Netflix or I could read a book or I could listen to another episode of this podcast. I could read a book or I could do what I, you know, and I just like keep making excuses not to read. And so at this point, it's kind of like I I, I just can't. I have books everywhere. I think that's the other problem is um, I have a lot of books in my uh, the, the townhome that I live in with my sister, just just a lot. And I think the piles of them are starting to like psychically weigh on me and I need to really go through and like clean it out so that I have only books that I love and I'm excited about. And maybe that will help, but I don't know. 
I think that's a real thing. I think that, well, first of all, there's a lot of posts on bookriot.com um, about fighting book slumps or working your way through them. Uh, I wrote one, but it was years ago, and I don't remember any of the tips that I had in there. <laughs> I will say that I think that reading something, if you were like kind of like, oh, I don't really feel like reading, but you want to get back into it, because if you don't, you just want to take a break, whatever, that's fine. But if you do, I think uh, either a short book Mm -hmm. or a graphic novel, like a comic volume, something like that, so that you then also get that feeling of accomplishment that's, you know, like a fun little reading addiction. That's true. I think that those can be really helpful. When I wasn't feeling a lot like reading, I went through like a ton of comic volumes. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, I haven't read a comic in a while, actually. So that might be a good break. Because like you said, you finish it and then you feel satisfied of like, yes, I did this. Hooray for me. (laughs) Indeed. And with that, our first sponsor for the episode uh, is Becoming Superman by J. Michael Straczynski. In this dazzling memoir, the acclaimed writer behind Babylon 5, Sensate, and Marvel's Thor, which Kim and I both love, reveals how the power of creativity and imagination enabled him to overcome the horrors of his youth and a dysfunctional family haunted by madness, murder, and a terrible secret. Raised by damaged adults in abject poverty, Joe found refuge in his beloved comics and his dreams, immersing himself in imaginary worlds. As an adult, he learned to tell his own stories where everything could come out the way he wanted. But even as he found success, he could not escape a dark and shocking family secret. So this is a must-read, not just for fans of Babylon 5, Sense8, World War Z, and the Thor and Spider-Man comics – but though Becoming Superman does give a firsthand look behind the scenes at these titans of sci-fi storytelling, it's also the memoir of an artist who overcame incredible childhood trauma to find astounding success. So again, that is Becoming Superman by J. Michael Straczynski. Thank you for sponsoring. I do love a book that has murder and madness in the the description or the subtitle, although like contemporary books, it's always hard, but that does sound really good. All right, so we will shift gears and uh, get into new books, which is a segment where every every podcast we talk about books that have recently come out or coming out soon that we have read or are excited about. Um, And so I'm going to go first, and the first book that I want to talk about is called The Wild Conjectures on Math and the Pursuit of the Unknown by Karen Olson, and it came out July 16th from FSG. Um, And this book is a a dual memoir and a biography. Um, So the memoir portion of the book is about the author's um, kind of college fascination and obsession with math and learning math and exploring it and all the things that you can can get out of that. Um, And the biography half is about uh, the Weil siblings, who were two um, French radicals and thinkers. Uh, So Simone, the sister, was a philosopher and a mystic and a social activist. And then Andre was the brother, and he uh, became an influential mathematician. And so it's a biography of these two thinkers kind of alongside her own story. There's also uh, stuff in it about kind of creative living and creative lives and how people have made their own life paths and creative lives over time. Um, that I think are really interesting. Um, the part I have enjoyed the most so far, like the the part about the wild siblings is really interesting. And it's just like two people I don't know anything about and kind of this whole French radical thinking community that's really interesting. But um, it's making me feel really nostalgic for the time in college when you had the time to just like go down weird rabbit holes of 
very like obscure intellectual thinking. And as you were doing it, remember feeling just like you were like the first person who had ever had these thoughts and like how exciting that was. And like, we don't get to have that feeling very often, I think as adults, even though and like, it clearly wasn't true. Like everyone had these thoughts before, but um, she just has this really compelling way of describing that experience and her love of how she experienced that with math. So I just, there's this one quote I want to read that I really, really like. And it was, We were a small band of students, giddily, exhaustedly trekking through an abstract moonscape, helping one another across patches of ice or fighting over which direction to head next. Um, And she was using that to describe her math study group. And I just, that part of it has really been, I've really enjoyed that part of it so far. So as you know, it's his biography, but it's also kind of an exploration of like what it is to learn and like have these intellectual pursuits around math. So uh, that is The Wild Conjectures on Math and the Pursuit of the Unknown by Karen Olson. Okay, I'm really glad that you picked that because I have looked at that book and I was like, no, because I only looked at the title. Oh, (laughs) I thought it was just like a book about math and uh, that I was like, I got away from that in high school. So uh, I was not super desirous to go down that. But hearing that it's about a it's a biography more and then also talking about like her that actually sounds really interesting. So see, this is why we have podcasts like this so that. We can get beyond just looking at the cover and saying, no, this is great. My first pick for new books for this week is They Called Us Enemy by George Takei. It came out July 16th. Um, And it is a graphic memoir, which I'm just really delighted by. I mean, it's a very serious subject, but um, I think that that medium can be really, really good for that sort of subject. I'm specifically thinking of Mouse, which Mm -hmm. um, I read when I was like nine, which maybe was too early, but also was uh, very educational. Anyway, so They Call This Enemy is about – so in 1942, uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt ordered that every person of Japanese descent on the West Coast be rounded up and shipped to one of 10 relocation centers, hundreds or thousands of miles from home, where they would be held – four years under armed guard. In 1942, when this happened, George Takei was five years old. So they call this enemy is Takei's firsthand account of those years behind barbed wire, what it was like growing up under legalized racism, um, his mother's hard choices, his father's faith in democracy, and the way that those experiences planted the seeds for just his amazing future. Um, in case anyone listening to this does not know, George Takei was, of course, uh, is it Commander Sulu? I think it's Commander. I think so could be wrong um on the original star trek and he has gone on to be you know like this gay rights icon and just like they don't i think this is based on they show in the graphic memoir like his ted talk where he talks about this like they actually illustrate it in the the book which is really Mm. cool um and then he kind of talks about like the very beginning when his family like this these soldiers show up and they're like you have 10 minutes to like pack your stuff you're leaving and, you know, his parents were obviously freaking out and he like remembers that, which when you're five, yeah, you you would remember a traumatic event like that. So and then it just goes beyond there. Um, it's getting a lot of buzz. It looks amazing. And I highly recommend it. Again, this is They Called Us Enemy by George Takei. I'm so glad you talked about that one. I think it is an incredible story, but also like there's a lot of I think it's an interesting book to read in the kind of political climate and situation we're in now. And we're having these conversations about concentration camps and internment and holding people and all of that. I think it's a good, there's a lot to learn from this book in this moment. So um, I'm really glad you talked about it. So my second pick is another 
more serious book, I think. Uh, it's called Beneath the Tamarind Tree, A Story of Courage, Family, and the Lost School, Lost School Girls of Boko Haram by Aisha Sese. Uh, and so this is a book about the 2014 kidnapping of 276 girls from their dorm rooms in Nigeria by the militant Islamic group Boko Haram. Um, and so I remember this this had, had huge international profile, this event. It was people are kind of covering it all over the place because it was so shocking. But um, as with a lot of stories, sort of the story behind it and the true story of whatever actually happened isn't as well known as kind of the big headline. So um, Sese is an internationally renowned journalist. She is from Sierra Leone and she worked, um, she led CNN's Africa reporting for about 10 years. Um, And so she was in Africa and was on the front lines with this story. And she, um, so she is kind of the, maybe the best journalist who could tell this story. So she uh, looks at the experiences of three girls. She kind of interviews them in depth and gets their stories. And then also looks at kind of the, inadequate responses to the event. Um, She looks at the way that journalists responded to it and kind of gives a critique of how the event was covered in the media um, and kind of just gives the whole full story of this shocking 2014 um, event that we kind of know about but really don't know the whole story of. So um, I haven't gotten to read this one yet. I keep waiting for my hold at the library to come in and it hasn't and I'm just waiting on edge because I think it looks great and of course I love books, international books by journalists. So um, this book is Beneath the Tamarind Tree, A Story of Courage, Family, and the Last Schoolgirls of Boko Haram by Aisha Sese. Oh, dang. I did not know that was coming out. So thank you for picking it. Yeah, I remember like we would get those like social media pushes about, you know, like kind of the the big points that some people were, yeah. were selling. But yeah, I, I don't know anything beyond that. Um, speaking of beyond, this is my segue for my next title. Uh, my next pick is In the Valleys of the Noble Beyond, In Search of the Sasquatch by John Zada. Came out July 2nd. I am very into any kind of cryptozoological book. Um, this one seems to have uh, somewhat more literary merit than some. So here we are. Uh, so essentially... It it focuses on the Great Bear Rainforest, which is in the central and north coast of British Columbia, which is the largest intact temperate rainforest in the world. I think my brother visited it and said it was very, very cool. So it has a crazy number of species there. It's got these thousand-year-old cedars and humpback whales, obviously not in the rainforest, but like off off the coast. And then uh, these white spirit bears, which I looked up and... They're normally black bears, but there are some white bears, and then they play this large role in um, mythology of the area. So they also are in this rainforest. So according to local residents, (laughs) there is another creature living in the woods, and that is the Sasquatch. So for centuries, people have, you know, talked about this creature, this like hairy bipedal man-ape that's supposed to live in like, you know, the dark center of this forest. And so the John Zada, the author, has always been um, obsessed with Sasquatch. And so he decides like, you know, I'm going to go to the rainforest in the Pacific Northwest and find him uh, or her. Who knows? Could could be a lady Sasquatch. <laughs> Probably is if it's still around after all of these centuries. Anyway, so uh, so he goes and he interviews all these people, including like people, um, members of the area's First Nations, a former grizzly bear hunter who is now a nature tour guide. And he basically like turns it into this, you know, like life experience quest. But the focus that we should all have 
is on his quest for the Sasquatch. Because what if it's real? What if it's real? I don't know. He probably didn't find out, but he probably got some good stories from the people that he's talking to. Not that far in yet. But anyway, that book again, which you should definitely read, is In the Valleys of the Noble Beyond in Search of the Sasquatch by John Zada. You can't see this, but I just have the biggest smile on my face because that just sounds so delightfully weird and great. (laughs) So good. (laughs) I love that you love all this weird stuff like that. It's one of my favorite things. Uh, So good. All right. So um, a little bit of an abbreviated new book segment this week, I think, because I don't know, it seems like there's a little bit of a lull kind of in the July-ish area before we get into the fall releases. So there's definitely a lull. Yeah. So we're a little short on that. We're going to lean into our second segment. But first, we have our second sponsor. Uh, So this week's podcast is sponsored by Late Migrations, A Natural History of Love and Loss by Margaret Rinkle. And so this is a tender and life-affirming memoir in essays that celebrates the exuberance and astonishment of the natural world. Um, I just really love that phrase. So uh, these nature essays are interwoven with family essays, um, some that are very brief that read like little meditations. Um, And Patchett has said that this debut has the makings of American classic. And Richard Powers, who's the author of The Overstory, called it a compact glory. So readers who look to Mary Oliver to illuminate their grief, heartache, and rapture for the world will also turn to Rankle. In this book, she suggests there is wonderment to be found in what seems ordinary and in what we all share. For in both worlds, the natural one and our own, the shadow side of love is always lost, and grief is only love's own twin. Um, so Margaret uh, Ringel's brother, Billy, contributed to this book by creating uh, collages that complement the renderings of the natural world and the creatures that she adores. Um, so it's printed in full color, and it is just a beautiful thing to behold. Um, it's recommended for readers of H's for Hawk, uh, Wool Gathering, and Anna Dellard's Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. Uh, people will find that in this book. So that is Late Migrations, A Natural History of Love and Loss by Margaret Rankle. What if you were just walking around with your friends in a forest and you were possibly in search of Sasquatch and you were like, (laughs) I just really love the exuberance and astonishment of the natural world. (laughs) Like, what if you just trotted out that phrase and they were like, wow, is that your normal speech type? It doesn't seem like it based on our previous experiences. (laughs) I probably couldn't say that, but I know some people who could, for sure. That's true. That's like a personality (laughs) thing. Some people do speak like that. I envy that. That's fine. Not me, but (laughs) here we are. All right. So this week's uh, theme is especially topical. I feel like we lined this one up super good. I'm very excited about it. Uh, And that is the moon. So today we're recording on July 19th. Uh, Tomorrow, July 20th, is the 50th anniversary of the Apollo moon landing, which is so exciting. Um, So we thought that we would talk some books about space. Uh, And given that it is the 50th anniversary of the moon landing, there have been a ton of books out this year about the moon landing and about the Apollo program and all of that. So I'm going to try to cover a few of those. Um, But first, I want to make sure we highlight a book that is a little bit older that you may have heard of, and that is Hidden Figures, The American Dream and the Untold Story of the Black Women Mathematicians Who Helped Win the Space Race by Margot Lee Shutterly. And this book came out in, I think, think 2014, but don't quote me on that because I didn't write it down. But it is about uh, the Black women who contributed to NASA. So uh, during World War II, uh, the aeronautics industry was needed people. And so they started hiring Black women who uh, were had degrees in math to help them do their calculations. And after the war, they were hired by NASA to work as human computers. So they were a whole division of people who used pencil slide rules and adding machines uh, who calculated the numbers 
numbers that helped launch rockets into space. And so they were just like a huge part of the kind of hidden story of the space race. And so this book, when it came out, I feel like really like was right at the beginning of this huge renaissance of books about women and their hidden contributions to major political and scientific and um, achievements across the world. And this one was just right there. Um, and it was, it's so great. Um, it's been turned into a movie, which I had mixed feelings about, but I really liked the book. Um, and the book is a lot broader than a movie. It looks at all of these women's contributions to NASA throughout history, not just uh, the kind of very end and the space race to the moon. It looks at the aerodynamic work that improved planes in World War II and sending a man to space, like that whole spectrum of events. Um, and it... Uh, I appreciated that the book acknowledges that there is a lot of racism at work in America at the time, um, probably still is, but also explored how individuals, teams, and families pushed against it in their own ways. Um, so it is really good. Um, if you are someone who, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably not someone nervous about reading nonfiction, but I have recommended this one to a lot of people who are not huge nonfiction readers because I think it reads really easily and has a lot of good stuff. So it's a little older, but definitely a great space race book, uh, Hidden Figures, The American Dream, and the Untold Story of the Black Women Mathematicians Who Helped Win the Space Race by Margot Lee Shutterly. I was all set to talk about how much I love the movie. And then you were like, I have mixed feelings oh. about it. Um, that's fine. That's fine, Kim. I think it's just one of those, like, the book is so good and has so much detail in it that the movie just, like, can't capture. And it has to kind of simplify things and... I think it's a little bit more um, saccharine than the book is. So that that's just why. I don't think it's a bad movie by any stretch. It's just I thought the book was better. I mean, I'm glad that you've actually read it because I obviously have not. Maybe that wasn't obvious. I haven't read it. But um, <laughs> I do remember, I guess my main takeaways were there were a number of really great uh, I guess, empowering feeling scenes and very like emotionally moving yeah. scenes, which I really appreciated. And also everyone's costumes were gorgeous and so good. Janelle Monet looked so good. So, uh, I mean, they all did, but like, I remember specifically being like, her dresses are all beautiful. Not that this is the point. Okay. Yay. Women in space <laughs> and doing math. Science who also look amazing while doing it. Exactly. They can do all the things. Well, not all the things that's an unrealistic expectation okay going off the rails we're fine <laughs> with space did i tell you so my dad is a professor of aerospace engineering and uh which is something that i do not care about other than you know hearing what his latest work is but last time we got dinner i got drunk and challenged him on whether the moon landing was real and <laughs> i just thought it was funny to be <laughs> to be like well what a how do you know and um, he was just mainly confused about <laughs> why I would say that. He wasn't uh, even like mad or pushy. He was just like, what? <laughs> why? <laughs> anyway, okay. So my first pick for our moon segment, which is really great, um, is Moonbound, Apollo 11 and the Dream of Space Flight by Jonathan Fettervorm, which is a very fun name. Um, so Moonbound is a graphic memoir. I'm kind of leaning into those. Uh, well, not even a memoir. It's a graphic book, uh, not a novel. Oh, do we have, did we ever come up with a phrase for nonfiction graphic? I don't think so. I don't think so. 
Anyway, it's one of those. And um, it's talking about, obviously, Apollo 11 and the flight to the moon. So in uh, it starts out like in the description very poetically, right? It's on a summer night in 1969, uh, specifically on July 20th, which is tomorrow from our recording. Two men climb down a ladder onto a sea of dust at the edge of an ancient dream. Okay, guys. When Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin first set foot on lunar soil, the moon ceased to be a place of mystery and myth. It became a destination. So this is basically, again, it's telling the story of the moon and the men who went there first. Um, and then it has like these really cool like drawings that kind of like pull you in. I really enjoyed it. I was glad that someone made this um, into, again, a format that I very much enjoy in like a, a graphic retelling of this. And uh, that's like mainly it. I just wanted to make sure that we had some kind of of graphic memoir or novel just book um representation in our moon episode we have this is an episode right <laughs> yes good i'm really glad you mentioned that yeah i th- I tried to when i was looking at other new releases kind of pick some that were a little bit different takes or angles but i didn't have a, a graphic one so that's awesome i think that sounds really exciting I do want to point out with this kind of thing, because, you know, one of the the points of the book is obviously, again, like we've always looked at the moon as this or throughout history, it's been this part of our myth. And, you know, like it was like a goddess or a god or all this stuff. And having people actually be on it turns it into this very, very real thing, which um, I have you ever looked up at the moon and been like, we humans have walked <laughs> on that in yeah other humans' lives. I cannot, because even as like knowing that that is possible with science, I can't actually conceive of how that has happened when I just Mm -hmm. like see it in the sky. So books like this, again, are trying to like put that in context and like what is sort of the story there and how we can like recontextualize uh, the moon from our past to now. Very cool. Very cool. So the first book I want to talk about is called uh, – I get no, a second book I want to talk about, but this is the first 2019 uh, moon landing book uh, – is American Moonshot, John F. Kennedy and the Great Space Race by Douglas Brinkley. Uh, and this is a book where if you are a big, chunky history book first person, this is the one you're going to want to grab. Um, it is 576 pages long, and the type is really small, and there's a lot in there. So his take on it or his approach to the the story is to look at kind of about – to um, Use a biography of John F. Kennedy, uh, the president who issued the challenge to get to the moon by the end of the decade. Um, and then so it, it uses his story uh, and kind of par- connects it to the people who actually tried to make that happen. So uh, it looks at the political, cultural, and scientific factors that fueled the development of NASA and the Mercury, Gemini, and Apollo projects. Um, and then it looks at how Kennedy... Kennedy's uh, involvement is part of why the space race and the space program actually even happened. Um, how his uh, his vision to make it a top priority was important. How he fought political battles to make it a reality, um, and all of that. So he is. This is about a book that really connects Kennedy and the space race together um, in a way that I I'm not really seeing in some of the other books that I was looking at. So I started to read it, and it, the writing is really good. Um, he really clearly sets up this argument and this kind of perspective on it about Kennedy and his connections to it. Um, and I think if you are a person who wants to like really dive into that whole experience and you're a person who's interested in like presidential biographies and that kind of chunky history book, um, this is probably going to be, of the books we're going to talk about, this is the one I think you'd want. Probably not one that I will get around to finishing because I really struggle with big chunky history books like that, but um, I think it might be good for other people. So uh, that is American Moonshot, John F. Kennedy and the Great Space Race by Douglas Brinkley. From what you read of it, did it cover basically why the space race was important? Like why we needed to beat Russia to the moon? 
I think it's going to get into it as to like why Kennedy made that argument. And uh, so, yeah, I think it is going to get there, but connecting it very much to Kennedy and his vision and his kind of dreams for the country and stuff like that. Well, that's really nice. Awesome. Yeah. yeah I, when, you, when you were saying first, it was like over 500 pages, like this big yeah. history book. I was like, mm, that's not Kim's favorite. So <laughs> I'm glad you did that. Like, I'm probably not going to finish it. Follow up. Um, no, that sounds awesome. My next pick is, so I was trying to find a book about Margaret Hamilton. And there aren't any that aren't just like tiny biographies for children, which I'm glad those exist, but um, I haven't found any any full-length um, adult biographies of her. So Margaret Hamilton, um, for those of you who are unaware, if you, you've probably seen a photo of her floating around. It's She's got like long 1970s hair and like big 70s glasses, or I guess 60s glasses in this case. And um, she's standing next to this giant stack of like papers and binders and stuff. And what that is, is it's the I think code for the software that was on Apollo 11, like the computer software that was like making a run because Margaret Hamilton was the director of the software engineering division of the MIT instrumentation laboratory, which developed the onboard flight software for Apollo. She is incredibly amazing. The fact that this happened in the 1960s uh, is so cool. I feel like she and um, Katherine Johnson are both kind of the women mentioned the most when talking about the Apollo 11 mission. So this book is that I found a thing about Margaret Hamilton and is Galaxy Girls, 50 Amazing Stories of Women in Space by Libby Jackson. Um, I think I've tended to stay away from like these, you know, like X number of stories about like awesome women, blah, blah, blah. But in this case, I think I don't know that much about women in space. And this seems like a really good like primer for that kind of thing. So it's got these really beautiful illustrations for the different women. And it's just this compendium talking about these 50 inspirational women who helped fuel some of these amazing achievements in space exploration from the 19th century. Yes, the 19th until now. So obviously they um, talk about Ada Lovelace, who we have talked about on this podcast before, because how can you not? So Byron's daughter. And then um, it kind of just comes up to, um, talks about NASA chief astronaut Peggy Whitson, uh, who is the record-holding American biochemistry researcher who has spent the most cumulative time in space, which is like, that is so many words that, uh, well, biochemistry, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Anyway, so, um, and then they talk about how, you know, Neil Armstrong, when uh, he got off of Eagle, uh, this lunar module, he talked about one small step for man, but how he would not have reached the moon without the help of women. So it's like, yeah. <laughs> and um, talks about different careers like astronauts, mathematicians, engineers, physicists, test pilots, and aerospace psychophysiologists, which is a career. <laughs> Um, so I think, uh, whether you're an adult or if you have like, I don't know, like maybe like a 10 year old who you're like, I would maybe like to show her the different possible career paths open to her. I would recommend this. So again, that is Galaxy Girls, 50 Amazing Stories of Women in Space by Libby Jackson. That sounds extremely delightful. I kind of want to buy it. Like I was just looking at it and I was like, yeah, this looks great. And now I'm like, oh, maybe I should own that. Yeah, it looks awesome. And I love, yeah, I think like all of the books we're talking about, like they're very heavily centered on the men who are part of the Apollo program and the space race. But like women have huge contributions to this that we are not spending enough time talking about. So I'm really glad you mentioned that one too. 
So the next book I want to uh, talk about is uh, the one that I, I personally am I'm kind of most excited to read. Uh, it's called Apollo's Legacy, Perspectives on the Moon Landings by Roger D. Lanius. And this one came out May 14th from Smithsonian Books. Um, and this is the one that it felt most up my alley because it is a history of the race for the moon, but also it puts that um, history and legacy in context and also kind of shares other versions of the, the moon story. So um, his argument is that sort of the most common story about the space race and the race to the moon is like a story of triumph that the United States beat all of these other countries to the moon. We had these amazing technological experiment or technological achievements, our, our revolutionary spirit and our uh, you know inventiveness and all of that is what contributed to us winning the space race over the Soviet Union. And that is kind of the story that I think most of us learn and that a lot of us talk about. And that's kind of the, the one that is most prevalent. Um, so in this book, he talks about that story and where it came from and how much of it is true and how much of it kind of isn't and like gives that context, but also looks at three counter narratives about the space program and the space race that um, were also happening at the same time, but that don't get as much uh, recognition in our sort of contemporary understanding of this whole movement. And so um, one of the counter narratives is about the criticism from the political left about the space program. Uh, and they were basically arguing that the whole space race Apollo program is a waste of money and that we should have been spending that money on social programs, which uh, during the 1960s is kind of a valid argument to make. There's also a counter narrative from the political right, uh, which basically uh, he kind of suggests was that the space program represents liberal tax and spend policies and that um, it's kind of a libertarian argument that like this isn't the space for government to be involved in and so we shouldn't be doing this. Um, and then he also spent some time looking at conspiracy theories. So stuff about how like we never actually went to the moon or that this is all part of some bigger, grander conspiracy. Um, I haven't gotten to that chapter yet, so I don't know all the details exactly. But um, so he tells kind of gives a history of the space race, but then also talks about the way it was understood at the time, the conversations that we're having at the time and some of the legacies of that uh, achievement, um, which I think is super interesting. And I think um, as a person who knows kind of the broad strokes of that, I think a book that it gets gives a little bit more detail about the history and of the timing and all of that, but also kind of gives more weight to other conversations and kind of gives it a little bit more deeper context. It's kind of the interesting um, area that I'm kind of excited about. So uh, that book is Apollo's Legacy, Perspectives on the Moon Landings by Robert D. Lanius. So the last one I just wanted to mention is um, maybe a young adult or like older children's book that I also checked out from the library that sounds super interesting. Um, it's called Destination Moon, The Remarkable and Improbable Voyage of Apollo 11 by Richard Maurer. And this one came out just uh, June 11th. And it is uh, written for kids ages 10 to 14 or grades 5 to 9. Um, and it gives kind of a good comprehensive history of the space race and the space program, starting with fighter pilots in World War II, um, so that he can trace the origins of the Apollo program to uh, to World War II. So soldiers, uh, engineers, and a man who would become president and kind of their uh, experiences in World War II and then how that led them into the space race. So um, it's really entertaining. It has a lot of photos. It has cartoons. It has these um, cool sidebars that um, kind of give information that doesn't really fit into other parts of the chapter. Um, it does look at the people behind the scenes as well as the astronauts. Um, it has a, a table of contents and kind of this cast of characters to give some overview of everything. So I think it'd be a nice kind of comprehensive look if you're, you know, have a kid who's interested or you just kind of want something that's a little bit easier to read. Um, I will say the bummer of it that I noticed as I was kind of 
poking through it is that the the cast of characters in the front, uh, it is, from what I can tell, all dudes. Uh, there are no women mentioned at all in kind of the main characters that he suggests he's going to write about. So um, that to me is kind of a bummer and a missed opportunity. But uh, in other respects, I think this looks like a really interesting one. And it got some good reviews in Carcass and School Library Journal and stuff like that. So that is uh, Destination Moon, The Remarkable and Improbable Voyage of Apollo 11 by Richard Maurer. Well, that's nice. Except for the, you know, not mentioning any women. Yeah. That part's not great. But giving like a like easy to understand, like kind of comprehensive look, like that's good. Yeah, I thought so. I thought it was a good um, kind of compliment to the other books that we've talked about, kind of giving a range of approaches and that kind of thing. So I kind of rounded it out for me. Um, I wanted to end our moon segment by naming titles of books about (laughs) moon conspiracies. Um, because I don't want to actually recommend any of these books. They all look somewhat somewhat ridiculous. But okay, there is the Moon Landing Hoax, the Eagle That Never Landed, right? <laughs> so there's that. That's great. One small step. There's a question mark. The Great Moon Hoax and the Race to Dominate Earth from Space. So Ooh. you know, if you're interested in that, there's that. Also, the NASA conspiracies, the truth behind the moon landing, censored photos, and the face on Mars. So that photo, that book's like trying to do it all. Then there are two more. Dark Moon, Apollo and the Whistleblowers, which I'm kind of like, wait, what? 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 Um, I don't know what anything applies to. Like, just Dark Moon. So that's presumably right. Like, there's some kind of shady thing going on. And then the Apollo and the Whistleblowers. Do you think the Whistleblowers are the ones who exposed the truth, quote unquote, uh, that we didn't land on the moon? Oh, I'm thinking Dark Side of the Moon. Isn't Dark Moon from like the Legend of She-Ra? Like TV show, never. Maybe it's Bright Moon. Eh, whatever. It's fine. It's fine. Okay. And then the last one, <laughs> which I like it because it just kind of says it, is we never went to the moon. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, those are some good titles, man. People really like good. Good on you for <laughs> leaning into your beliefs. I guess. No, that's not my real belief. Oh, you're talking about them. Um, oh yeah, no, not. Not you, not you. No, I just I don't I don't need it in out there in podcast land that I don't think we landed on the moon. I do think we landed on the moon. Uh, just to clarify things, but these uh, these titles are all great. So just wanted to share those with our fantastic listeners. Excellent. So yeah, that was a bunch of different books that talk about the space race on the moon. So hopefully there's something in there that will pique your interest. Otherwise, uh, there are a lot of new books this year about the moon and the space race. So I'm sure that there are other other ones that people can find. So I'd be curious to see if there are other things people are excited about too. Uh, and so with that, we will uh, round, wrap up the podcast as we normally do by talking about the books we are reading right now. Uh, and as I suggested in the beginning, I'm in a reading slump, so I'm not really reading much of any But I do have two books that I am looking forward to or have started a little bit that maybe I will find the momentum to finish. Um, So the first one is called For the Love of Books by Graham Tarrant. And it is, uh, quote, a lighthearted book about books and the people who write them for all lovers of literature. Um, And I got this one as a gift for my birthday. Uh, And so it I was kind of flipping through it and it looks like it will be very easy to pick up and put down and read. So it might be good for the slump. But you said you had you had thoughts about this one, I think. Well I recommended it in another episode. I don't remember which one. Oh nice. But it was really easy to read. You're right. So I think it's a great slump book. 
Excellent. That is really good to hear. And then the second one is a little bit more serious, but I started reading and I really like it so far. So hopefully I will get excited. Uh, and that is called If All the Seas Were Ink, a memoir by Ileana Kershon. And it is a book about um, a young woman who, in the wake of a divorce, decides that she is going to uh, do the dafyomi, which is uh, a practice of reading a page daily from the Talmud, a book of rabbinic teachings spanning about 600 years. So it is a practice that people can try um, and uh, Jewish people, anybody who's participating in it across the world, all read the same page on the same day. And when you do that, it takes like seven and a half years to get all the way through reading the entire thing. Um, and so this is her memoir about her uh, experience with that practice. And it's, it's recently out in paperback, which is kind of why I got on my radar and I kind of picked it up to just see. And it is just like so interesting. I think stories about like daily practices like that I find very fascinating and like sort of the way that this book has been part of her life and the study of this book has been part of her life for such a long time through a lot of different changes is really interesting. So um, yeah, I'm like that one so far. So If All the Seas Were Ink by Ileana Kershon. That's so nice that they all read like the same thing every, oh. Yeah. I was, because I looked it up because I was curious that if like you just start and then you go, but actually there's a specific schedule for it. And so if you, anytime you join, you start on the page that they are on and then you kind of get to the end of it. And then I guess you would continue on until you get back to your end again, um, which I just think is so fascinating that you could have this whole practice that you could just kind of come into and be on the same page with all of these other people around the world uh, and do that. And actually, um, if I remember correctly, the next cycle of it actually starts in January 2020, I think. Uh, so that kind of fascinated me too. That's um, that's like a book version of, you know, when you're at a museum and they have a movie playing in a room and like it's on a, mm -hmm. it's on a loop. So you just like start wherever and then like people like leave at the point where they had like picked up initially. Yes. Yeah. It's like that. Okay. Anyway, my current read is The Orchid Thief by Susan Orlean. I thought this whole time that it was a novel. What is a true story? And it is bananas. They made a movie out of it. So I was like, this is probably <laughs> fiction. Doesn't Nicolas Cage star in it? Yes, he does. It's very weird. It's Yeah. So I started it and I was like, wait a minute, this is nonfiction. And then I was like, this is amazing. So yeah, I mean, there's a reason that this book got so much buzz and then the movie got so much buzz. It's really, really good. So yeah, Orchid Thief, loving it. Yeah, the movie was called Adaptation and it was about him trying to like adapt the book, but it's also like about the book and it's, it's yeah. Oh, that's it. Yeah, the movie yeah. even called it. I'm. It's all coming back now. Thank you, Kim, for that clarification. See the movie adaptation, everyone. Anyway, so with that, you can find us on social media. I am at It's Alice Time, and Kim is at Kim the Dork. And if you are so inclined, please uh, consider rating and reviewing the podcast on iTunes. Uh, that helps people find us more easily. And then while you are there, you can subscribe so that you will get uh, new episodes the very minute that they come out. Uh, so with that, I am Kim Ukra. And I'm Alice Burton. And we thank you for listening to this week's episode of the For Real Podcast. Bye.